You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. How's everyone doing? Good? Having a nice weekend? Beautiful weather? Glad you're all here and not camping? Watching online, thank you guys for joining us that way. So we're glad to be together. You know, I just was thinking about a year ago. Uh, really, I think we were just maybe back in having able, being allowed to gather for maybe just a few weeks. We I think it was the second or third week of June that we were able to gather. And just really the blessing of what it means to actually come together. Not just do the same thing, but actually be together is what matters the most, right? So... Um, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, a new series called Church. Anybody remember what the first week was about? Ecclesia, good. Do you remember what Ecclesia means? Okay, you can't answer all the answers, Donna. You gotta give someone else a chance. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. <laughs> Called out ones, right? We talked about the word that Jesus uses when he first brings it up in Matthew and he speaks to to uh, Peter, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he's at this place called the gates of hell, and he says, upon this rock I will build my church. And the word there really, you know, we taught on it, ecclesia, it means called out ones, and it was actually about a political assembly. It was about citizens who had rights and who, who basically were called out to listen to a specific message. Anyway, we, we, if you didn't get the message, go listen to it, all right? And then last week we heard Justin. Does anybody remember what Justin talked about? If you haven't offended someone, you will. That is very, yes, that was part of it. <laughs> we just, you know, the truth is the church hasn't gotten everything right. All of us can attest to that. And the point is this is a building, but the church is the people, and people cause problems with one another. But it's okay, because that's part of life. It's part of relationship. It's part of what God even designs us to do. And we're supposed to shape one another. One of the messages I hope we do, that if, you know, I'll have another chance. I want to talk about how the fact that God putting us together actually is about shaping one another. And we all know that scripture, iron sharpens iron. So another man sharpens another man. The point is that we actually shape each other when we come together. You can't do that unless you're together. And so there's importance in, in gathering together. And so this week we're picking up the series Church Called Out Ones. We're going to start again in 1 Peter. I kind of ended actually in 1 Peter from my first message. So we're going to pick up there again. I want to read some of these scriptures. And we're going to kind of talk about another word that we see used and uh, even some theologies and doctrines that have been created around this wording in the New Testament, and then I'll tell you what I think it really means. So, First uh, Peter 2, verse 9. So, you know, if you remember, we were reading from 2, verse 4. A couple weeks ago, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. You are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you're holy priests. So, down to verse 9. But you are not like that. And he's talking about people who stumble, people who fall. And he says, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. 
He's talking about his church here. He's talking about his people, his called out ones. He's talking about the people in which he wants to empower to change the world. To actually be his representation on this earth. To show the nature of his father in heaven. These are the people he's talking about. And he calls them royal priests. And in that day, um, we, we won't talk about that a ton today. But really, that was, it didn't make any sense. There was royalty and there were priests. There was no such thing as royal priests. The only time we see it in all of scripture where someone crosses those lines is King David. And King David kind of breaks all those rules a lot. And he was able to go into the temple, into the most holy of holies, even though he was not technically a priest. He was not someone who was technically ready or able or cleansed enough to be in the holy of holies. But yet, he's royalty, and for some reason, God lets him into that place. And we now see that, that Jesus and, and Paul reiterating that he calls us all royal priests. We're all meant to be the representation of God in this world. There isn't some select group. Even though churches have priests or pastors or clergy, those are all just man-made things that unfortunately have actually created an obstacle for all of us to realize we're all called. Every one of us is supposed to be in ministry. Because God, when he looks at his church, he's not seeing separate groups of people. He's seeing his people, the ones in whom he's called out, not just a select few here or there. And in fact, that's the whole message today. I want to talk about this word, chosen. He says, for you are a chosen people. So if you go to Matthew twenty-two fourteen, there's another scripture there, and it says this, for many are called, right? We're talking about called out ones. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many of us Christians have heard that. If you haven't, it's this scripture. But really, this is a, it's a scripture at the end of a parable. In fact, a very weird, confusing parable, if you ask me. So let's turn there real quick. And I want to jump through Matthew 22 in this parable. So Matthew 22, we're going to read this whole parable, and then I'm going to go back. So it says, Jesus also told them other parables. He said, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. Okay? So his servants now going out to those who were invited, but they all refused to come. Great friends. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm and another to his business. Others seized his messengers, insulted them and killed them. Whoa. This just escalated quickly. From, hey, come to my party to, you just killed my servants. It says the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burnt their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of honor. Remember that word. They aren't worthy of honor. 
Verse 9, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So we see this story taking place. The king invites the people that he's invited. Hey, hey, come on. You remember I invited you to this party? And they refuse to come. In fact, they get very violent about not coming. The king's so angry, he sends out his army to basically kill them and burn their town. And then he says, you know what? We're still going to have this party. So now go out and invite everyone. Okay? So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked. This is interesting because he starts with friend. How is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. That's an interesting parable. When I read this, it seems really, really harsh. Now listen, as all parables from Jesus, they're meant to make a point. And sometimes we get some of the points a little bit skewed, okay? I'll just say right now, this king, probably not a picture of God, okay? But what happens to the people in the story is the lesson, and so I want to I jump back down to this wor- word that we're going to talk about today. For many are called, but few are chosen. And of course we saw in 1 Peter, for you are a chosen people. It's the same word, and it's actually a very similar word to ecclesia. Do you remember when we talked about ecclesia? It was called out ones. It was people who basically had a citizenship in Rome. They were going to be called out to a public assembly to hear something that was meant for them. Well, this word is called eclecton. Who cares? But it's similar. And it's actually from the same root meaning. And it's actually, if if you've been around Christianity a long time, you'll also see it translated this way, elect. Anybody heard that word? Anybody ever heard of the elect? Or being elected? It actually also translates as excellent. So if you look, I put it in your notes. There's a few things there. Elect, excellent, chosen, which we see it written as a lot. And then here's something that really matters. Worthy of choice. Do you remember in, this, do you remember in the story here? When we heard the worthy of honor part? There's something going on in this story that really matters about how God views people. And so... I want to keep this all in our mind as we talk about being chosen today because often if, you, if you've been around church, you hear this scripture, for many are called but few are chosen. No one wants to talk about the parable in which that ends on because it's really a hard one to, to swallow because first you see this king invite people who refuse to come. That ends poorly. Then he invites everyone to the party and then he's picky about the guy's clothes. Like what's going on here? So in order for us to really understand this, we've got to understand a little bit of the history here. 
To be invited to the king's party as everyone makes no sense in their culture. In fact, all of it makes no sense to their culture. If you were invited to a king's party, you would not refuse to go at all. But yet we see this absurd thing take place where people refuse this gift invitation of the king and it ends poorly for them. So then the king just extends the invitation to everyone. Again, most likely would never have happened in their culture. But yet now he's just saying, hey, anybody that wants to come. And then they come. And if we're reading this part in our Western minds, we're kind of like, this king is a jerk. Now he just cares about what they wear. I, I have people all the time ask, what am I supposed to wear to church? Maybe it comes from this scripture. Because if that's the, you know, the danger of wearing the wrong clothes, who wants to be thrown into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? It doesn't. That's our Western mindset. I'll tell you what the interesting part of the backstory here is. When you were invited to a wedding, you were given the clothes to wear. So this man comes into the wedding. He's now been invited. He's in everyone. He's not the initial invited people, but he's in everyone. But yet he comes and he sits with the king, and he doesn't put on the clothes he's been given. And so that's why the king asks him actually in a nice way. He says, friend, why aren't you wearing the wedding clothes? It wasn't because he was poor and maybe he, you know, I've heard preachers say this stuff. He was poor, maybe he couldn't, like that's pretty harsh. Like no, he was actually given the right clothes to wear, but didn't put them on. So let's now try to understand what Jesus might be saying here. I think, I think honestly the first part of the story is about the Jewish nation. God's chosen people. From, from the beginning with Abraham, he pulls these people apart and he sets them up for the world to see and yet they end up refusing to acknowledge who God is in Christ Jesus at that initial point. And so the king says, you know what, this is open to everyone. This isn't just for Jews or Hebrews. This is for all people, which we see in laying the Shroud of the Testament. Gentiles, Jews, slaves, free. God is inviting us all into this family. He's inviting us all into this church, this body of Christ. But yet when we come into the body of Christ, it's not good enough to just show up in our own clothes. And that might sound a little bit narrow, because this is the point. He's got good ones for you. It's not that he doesn't provide them. It's not that it's not okay to show up in your sandals and shorts. It's not that you have to look a certain way to be in the church. Simply, literally what we see here is that Jesus provides all the ways we're supposed to look. But we have to choose to put them on. We have to literally choose to look like the church we're supposed to look like. But yet what happens in church, we want it to look the way we want to look. And in fact, if I think 
about church history and all the ways that Justin even mentioned last week about how the church has gone wrong, I think this is the essence of where the church got it wrong. We came into the body of Christ and we sat down at the wedding feast and we're like, Jesus is wonderful, he's great, let's praise him. Look, he invites us all in, yet we refuse to put his clothes on. We want to look like us still. Because at the essence of Christianity, this is the hard part. This is the narrow part. We have to look like him. We're called to be followers. And good followers, according to how we understand scripture, actually look like who they're following. They act like who they're following. They listen to who they're following. They obey who they're following. And where the church has looked ugly, it's not because Jesus had the wrong clothes. Because we didn't put them on. Because the church hasn't worn what it's supposed to wear. And so there's this kind of warning that comes in this parable. And he, of course, at that time, he's really speaking to the Jewish religious people of the day. And he's warning them. If you're going to come and sit in the assembly of God, if you're going to be in the body of Christ, they don't understand it that way, but if you're going to be a part of this kingdom, he's talking about the kingdom, then you actually have to put on the clothes that have been provided for you. And so we get back to this last sentence in the parable. For many are called, but few are chosen. We sometimes read that word chosen and we think God's choosing certain people. But that's not how the parable goes, right? In fact, the parable is, the invitation is open to everyone. But really the best way to understand this is, but few are worthy of choice, which sounds a little scary. It's because you have to be willing to put his clothes on. So it makes us worthy. We could get into a whole teaching about what imputed righteousness means. It means literally that God takes his righteousness off of him, right? A person who lived perfectly, who lived in our world, who took all sin on himself, but then he literally put righteousness on us. It's not because of your good works that you can come to Jesus. It's because of him. It's not because of, of anything we've done that we can come to the Father. It's because of him. So we get his righteousness literally put on us. And it's really interesting if you look into all the scriptures around righteousness and Jesus putting that on us. It, it, it's clothing language. It's like a garment we get to wear. And I really think that's the picture of what Jesus is trying to say in this parable. You came into the wedding. I even got the right clothes for you. Why aren't you wearing them? The guy just says nothing. Isn't that our response sometimes? I'll just ignore Jesus right now. <laughs> Why aren't you wearing what I've got for you? Why aren't you living in the way I have planned for you? Why aren't you making the choices that I've designed for you? Why aren't you being who I've created you to be? These are the same, this is the same language that he's asking. Why haven't you put those clothes on? Yet sometimes we look at this language, we say, for many are called, we're all called as a church, but few are chosen, and then all of a sudden we think, oh, well, I'm not chosen. Those better people are. No. All you gotta do is put the clothes on sitting next to you. All you gotta do is put the clothes on that Jesus has provided for you. Then you're chosen. Luke 18, one through eight. I wanna jump there now. 
We see another parable here. We'll, we'll read it real quick. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. It says there was a judge in a certain city. He said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. The Bible's a real thing. I love these stories. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people? Who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? You see, we see these words chosen throughout Scripture. There's tons, there's actually a ton of Scriptures throughout all the New Testament about chosen um, a lot of the NIV versions or the ESV versions will use the word elect. And so we look at it and, it, and, it, and if we read it in that same language, you say, we say, you know, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his elect people? And honestly, for a long time, Christianity has taught a doctrine about those who are elect and those who are chosen for destruction. And I want to say today, I think it is desperately wrong. God does not choose who is going to go to hell and who is going to go to heaven. Like the parable of the king inviting in, he's invited now everyone. He's provided the right clothes in order to be worthy. And now guess who the choice is on? Us. You know, people use this scripture in John 6. John 6, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And I, I've heard this in kind of some debating arguments with friends of mine that really believe in election or predestination, that God has designed certain people for heaven and certain people for hell. Or certain people to be used by God and certain people just to exist. And so they use the scripture, but it says, well, no one can come to the Father unless the, he draws them. So really, it's up to God whether we're saved or not. And I say again the same thing with that parable. No, the invitation is wide open. The clothes are sitting there, but he won't force dress you. You ever have to force dress one of your kids? I have to do it all the time. And they never look good after. God has something prepared for us. And so this church, this body, this thing that he was creating, that he was beginning to speak to his disciples, this ecclesia, these called out ones, it didn't immediately mean that they were saved or that they were going to heaven. It literally just meant you're now all invited. You are now all citizens. You are all now called. It is all now available to you. All the promises that were available to the invited guests, now it's available to all of you. Here's the close, and it's your turn. 
So being chosen is not just something separate for some people. We're all chosen. I read in Colossians 3.12, we even see Paul's words. So he says this, So as those who have been chosen of God, now a lot of um, translations will say, those who have been elect of God, holy and beloved. And then it says this, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wait a second. If you're chosen, don't you just have those things? I mean, if you're elect, if God preordained since the beginning of time for you to go to heaven, aren't those things just going to be true no matter what? Yet Paul has to admonish. He says, put it on. Wear it. Clothe yourself in this thing. There's volition there. God draws our hearts. He opens the door wide open to us. He gives us everything we need, but it still takes us putting the darn clothes on. Every one of us is called. Every one of us is chosen. But will we actually be worthy of the choice by wearing what he calls us to wear? 2 Timothy 2.10 Paul writes it this way, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, which is eternal glory. Paul talking about those that are chosen, and they use this language because at the end of the day, I believe it is really important for us to understand that before the beginning of time, he saw you. He chose you. He's invited you in to his church, to his body. He has plans and purposes and promises for your life. He even doesn't care all the mistakes that you've made, all the issues that you've caused, all the obstacles in your life. He doesn't care about those things. He simply says, it's fine. I've got good clothes for you. Yet it still takes our choice. Will we be what he's called us to be? Will we put on the clothes that he's called us to put on? These are just a few of them. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. John 6, I mentioned before, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. I love this because then later in John 12, a subsequent verse to John 6, Jesus says this, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. God is drawing everyone. His heart's for every person that's ever existed, ever will exist, that's ever breathed, that heart beat has ever beat in their chest. Jesus' heart is to draw them unto himself. You know, we sang this song, Reckless love of God. And really that wording in that song is, ex- is extremely biblical. And we, we always talk about the prodigal son, that parable of the prodigal son. The, the better name for that parable is the prodigal God. Because prodigal means reckless. Because in that day when, when, they were te- when he was teaching that parable, 
To have a father who would give his inheritance before the kid deserved it, then when the kid comes back and exploits it all and invites him back into the family, therefore allowing him to have another inheritance, it was ridiculous. It was reckless. And so this word prodigal, it meant reckless. It meant basically you're lavishing something on someone without a guarantee of a response. Does that sound familiar? God lavishes his love on this world, yet there's no guarantee of us responding to him. He lavishes his love on our life, and he says, he pleads with us, right? He draws us. It says he chases us down. That's another parable. Chases the 99. It says, right, he leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one who's lost. And it's meant to give us this picture of a God in heaven whose nature is literally to draw everyone unto himself, to include everyone in the body of Christ. To actually build his church out of everyone. You know, I love how people come into the the church building maybe for the first time after a while and they're always like, I hope I don't get struck by lightning. Hope the walls don't fall. I hope the roof doesn't cave in. Because we, we tend to immediately go to this place where we feel unworthy of being chosen. We think we've done too many things wrong. We've, we've avoided God too long or we've, we've even cursed God or we've ran away from him or whatever we think we've done that has made us unworthy of this choice. But yet this parable, this one that is confusing in, in Matthew or, and, and these other scriptures are actually showing us that Jesus has chosen every one of us and simply, he just simply asks us, put some new clothes on. I want you to look a little bit different. I want to transform you, right? We just came out of a whole series, living transformed. This is what it means to put on who God's called us to be. This is what I'm convinced of if I look at a picture of life. From the beginning of time, Jesus created us to look, be, and act a certain way. And yet when we went our own way, we've decided to change how we look, be, and act. So coming to God is not us coming to something that's unknown. It's actually coming back to our original design. It's coming back to the place of our design and what God meant for us from the beginning of eternity. And every person is qualified for that. Want to know why? Because you're a person. First John He calls us all children of God. He's trying to invite us back into this family in whence we once belonged, literally just because of humanity, but yet we've rejected the family like the prodigal son. We've run away to spend our life on whatever we want, and now we can come back, and he's just literally waiting to throw a party for us. And I love that even in that prodigal son, prodigal God story, what's the first thing he does when he comes back? Does anybody remember? puts his cloak on him. He puts this robe around his son. And in those days, that robe literally was the mantle of the house. It literally represented that you are now a part of the family again. And so the father puts his robe back on him. There's so much language in this about being clothed by these things. Because really, I think that's how God invites us in. 
And that son comes back and he's just really wanting to be a servant, right? He's already diminished his worthiness. And he just says, well, I'm starving to death. I might as well ask my father if I can work in his pig pens. Or if I can just be like one of his slaves or servants. And don't we all some, so often co- try to come back to God that same way? We come back to him and we're like, man, I've screwed up so many times. Or maybe you come to God and you're like, man, I've, I've never known God, but you realize that, you know, just things haven't been right in your life. And we come back and we diminish even the invitation that God has for us. Yet when we come, he says, here, I've got some new clothes for you. Want to be a part of my body? Want to be a part of my church? We're all called. We're all chosen. I put in your notes, we are chosen by our choosing, I missed a word, by our choosing of Christ. It takes God drawing us, but guess what? He's already done it. You don't have to wonder if God's drawing you. You don't have to wonder if God's drawing your family members. He is. You don't have to wonder if he's, he's drawing that neighbor across the street or that person that you've been praying for. He is drawing them. Now, I, I, I don't have a clue about how the timing of God works or how his master plan weaves together to, to bring hearts to him. I don't, but I know this. He's drawing them. The invitation is wide open. The clothes are sitting there. And simply, it takes a moment for us to realize, I don't want to wear these clothes anymore. I want to wear these ones. And then we become his church, his body. And this is what is really important for us to to know. The body is never complete until all its members are here. I think that's why he hasn't come back yet. It's like he's just prolonging it as long as possible to get as much of his family back into his family as, as he can. To draw as many hearts as he possibly can. Yet in that process, he relies on us to do it. Who does he send out to gather the people and invite them in? Servants. The king doesn't go out himself. He sends his servants. Now, I don't want to be the ones who get beaten and murdered. But he says, go out, invite everyone. Invite everyone in. 1 Peter 2.4, we're going to find our way back there. Does anybody ever sing the song in their head to remember where it is in the Bible? If you grew up in kids' church, I'm always singing the song in my head. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, the book of Romans. Okay, you can just laugh at me, whatever. See, that's what happens when you go to a Christian school when you're a kid. 1 Peter 2, 4. Or no, 1 Peter 2, 9. Oh yeah, no, I want to start in 2, 4. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. And this is what I, I, I wanted to point out again after we read it the first time. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God. Jesus is looking for those who are willing 
to be chosen. Willing to put on the clothes. It's all it takes. Every one of us is worthy of choice if we're willing to lay down the clothes of life that we've been wearing and pick up the clothes he's prepared for us. Every one of us has a call on our lives to impact the world around us if we're simply willing to pick it up. Every one of us is designed to be used by God in a way that literally, look around the room, nobody else in this room can be used like. We all have a part to play. We're all literally designed to accomplish very specific purposes in this world. And I believe when the church actually realizes that every one of us is called, every one of us is chosen, then we can actually begin to represent the nature of our Father in heaven. And the world will go, I want to be a part of that. When we maybe lay down just some of our arguments and our doctrinal debates and whatever else that we make the most important thing in church and we just pick up really what I think is the most important thing in church, which is the mission of God. The mission of representing his nature to this world. Of accepting this gift that he has for us, this grace gift that he paid for on the cross. As we, even as we remember today when we do communion, receiving this gift of grace, but then representing that grace to the world. Right? We read last week 1 Peter 2.9. It says, you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We can show the goodness of God to this world. It's why we're here. It's why the church exists. It's why we shouldn't be just hiding away in four walls. Or just thinking that church is attending a service on a Sunday morning. Or even thinking that the Christian life is about simply us growing. But realizing that when we become a part of God's called ones and his chosen ones, that he's going to shape us, he's going to equip us, and he wants to use us, not just for ourselves, but to represent to the world his goodness. Can we stand this morning? And uh, we're going to join in communion here shortly. So whoever is going to man the tables. You know, today we're celebrating a great friend of ours who's moving to Albany, Billy Ramo. Are you in here, Billy? I see you there. And I wanted to end a little bit talking about Billy because I believe when I look at Bill Ramo's life, I see the church the way it's supposed to be. A man who has loved every person that's come in contact with him. That even, even after Carol passes away, he calls me and he just says, well, I'm still here, so God has work for me. I'll just do whatever he wants. That's his heart. I'm telling you, when we have the heart that whatever God wants us to do, we should just do. And whenever God puts people in our lives, we should love them. That's when people will look and go, that's different than the church I know. That's different than just some religious organization that meets on Sundays. 
And I want to look at people like Bill that model for us what it means to represent God and his goodness to this world. And Billy's not a pastor by trade. The church world could easily look and say, He's not called into ministry or five-fold ministry or this thing, but look at the impact that he's had on every one of us and on every person, the amount of stories that I've heard of people who just have been loved by Bill. That's the church to this world. It doesn't matter where you are, where you work, what your name is, what you do. You can be used to show the goodness of God to this world. That's the job that the church has been called out and chosen to do. You've been called out. You've been chosen to represent his goodness to somebody that I cannot represent it to. You've been called out and chosen to represent his love and goodness to someone that the person sitting next to you can't do. And simply, will we put the right clothes on? Will we respond to this call on our lives as the church? Will we stop even listening to the lies of the past or the lies of ourselves that say you're not good enough, you're not qualified, you're not chosen, you're not called? Will we put those things down and say, okay, Jesus, whatever you call me to do, I'll choose to do it. I think as we take communion today, that is the best way. You know, Jesus breaks the bread and he passes the cup and he uses these words, do this in remembrance of me. It wasn't just some symbolic act of drinking wine and eating bread. It was literally, will you live like I have lived? Do this in remembrance of me. I think it's the greatest way we honor Christ is when we live like him. So we're going to take communion together this morning. And um, just so you know, we're kind of going back to how we used to do it. There are loaves of bread that they're going to hold. You take a piece off. If you do not feel comfortable with that, that's fine. At the same tables, there are still those little packets where you can rip off and take the wafer and the, the juice. So why don't we all come? And there's two tables in the back and two tables in the front. And grab the elements. We will take them together in just a moment. Are you hurting and broken within?
says he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. You know, in these last moments as Jesus was sitting with his disciples, with really his friends, he was wanting them to understand that he was giving his life for them, not just what was about to happen in death, but also in the years that he had just lived with them. You know, in Matthew it says, no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's not just in death that that is meant. It literally means in life. That when we choose to live showing the love of God to the world around us, there's no greater love. When we lay down our desires and even our needs and the selfishness that we have and we pick up the needs of others and we show the goodness of God to them, that is what it means to follow him. And he was reminding them that as he broke this bread, my life laid down for you. So Father, as we take this bread together, God, as we take this symbolic item that just speaks of what you did for us and what you did for your friends and your disciples in those days, God, we want to also do it. God, we commit to being a follower of you, not just in words and in knowledge, but God, in action, that we would lay our lives down as well. So as we take this together, God, we ask you to bless every person. And God, we ask you to put your finger on our lives and shape and transform us to be able to say yes to that. Let's take the bread together. after supper he took another cup of wine and said this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you that blood always since the beginning of time was a representation of life so even in the Levitical law days when they spilled the blood of an innocent animal to cover sins. It was this idea that that life that was inside this blood would cover that which was dead. And so Jesus knew as he was about to spill his blood what it would mean for us that we would have not just life here on this earth, but eternal life. So Father, we thank you for this price that you paid. God, we thank you for the cost that you were willing to give for every one of us. God, that this thing would be available to us, God, but even simply like that parable, that today we would receive that life. I just want to take a moment. Maybe there's people in this room or there's people watching online and you, you're saying to yourself, I don't even know if I follow God. I don't know if I'm a part of this family. I don't know if I know Jesus yet. Well, literally, it takes this, a simple reception of this gift. And this is just a symbolic way to do it, but really, the Bible teaches we just have to say it. We have to say, Father, 
I don't want to do it my way anymore. I want to do it your way. I believe what you did for me. I believe in the price you paid for me. And so if that's you today, don't wait another moment. As we take this cup together, don't wait another moment to say, Jesus, I want to receive this gift. Can we say it together? Everyone in this room, everyone online. Jesus, we receive this gift. God, this gift of grace that you poured out for every one of us that we could have eternal life. And so, Father, as we take this today, God, let us be reminded it's not just for us, but it's for all humanity. It's for everyone that you're drawing to yourself. Let's take the cup. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. God, we thank you that you have done every work that needs to be done for us to literally be those chosen ones. You've opened the doors of invitation. You've set the clothes ready for us. We just have to simply put them on. And so God, every one of us in this room, as we sing some of these last words together today, God, we simply say, God, we put those on today together. We don't want to wear our old rags, our old way of living, our old way of thinking. God, we want what you have for us. And we put it on this morning. In Jesus' name, let's worship for a moment together. Come on, sing, oh. Oh, what a God, that you have called, you have chosen us. And Father, I pray right now that people would realize the gift and the promises that you have for them. That we would come into your church, into your body. And God, we would be that people called out and chosen for a purpose in this world. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.